0: I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review.
1: Welcome to episode 228 Knowledge Comes from Crafted Bindings and Pages. This week we're discussing Series 10, Episode 1 of Doctor Who The Pilot, and Season 7, Episode 17 of Buffy Lies My Parents Told Me.
0: As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right. So we're talking about uh some Doctor Who again this week. Hooray. Um into the season proper. Uh
1: yeah. Season ten.
0: Season ten. Wow. S- series ten. Series ten. As the Brits say.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. Right. And the last and final season slash series for Peter Capaldi.
1: This is true. This is true. And we knew that at this point, I believe. Um, I didn't include I think that so, in my production right. notes, but we knew going in that this would be his, his final season. Right. Which is three full seasons plus a handful of specials is exactly what... Tennant and Smith both did. So it's following in, that's sort of the template that's been established. Not that they, Eccleston clearly didn't do that, not that they have to do that, but that's sort of a a comfortable number, I guess.
0: Right. And so that's an interesting point. Does it feel any different though? Because I I feel like we didn't get quite the same amount or – whatever breaks for either of them that we did. I mean, we got some break, right? Mm-hmm. Like with,
1: yeah. Um, right. No, but this I was, don't even remember yeah. when they,
0: I was trying to think of like what season they have in between, but like, I feel like the, it, it feels a little different with Capaldi. Just maybe because you have like the, we, did we have a Christmas to Christmas full break without any episodes with either of the
1: other two? No, this is definitely the longest extended break of the new series so far like between okay. between single episodes um i mean tenant had the specials year where they only did five episodes but they were spread throughout the year so you had every 3 mm-hmm. or 4 months you had a special to look forward to and then sort of the same thing with at the end with matt smith it goes from the end of series 7 to Day of the Doctor in November, and then his regeneration in December. So you didn't Mm -hmm. have to wait quite as long. So definitely Capaldi has this big, you know, pause in the middle, you know, between his, you know, his penultimate and his ultimate seasons. So how does that, when you say it feels different, is it just that the pacing feels different, or does it... Are you saying, like, do you think that affects the story at all? Or is it merely a, a structural difference?
0: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, so for me, it also might be the difference in watching it live versus, not, you know, waiting and, and watching it here. So that might just be part of it as well.
1: That's definitely a good point because even with those other breaks I just mentioned, we didn't have those as we podcasted it. We went straight from right one episode. You know, we skipped the five months between whatever Planet of the Dead and Waters of Mars or something. You know, so even that didn't feel quite as spread out as it even was at the time. So that must, yeah, some of it might just be virtue of finally being like caught up.
0: Yep. Um. So yeah, so you mentioned some. Uh, production notes. did yeah. yeah Want to go through those?
1: I did have a few, other ones. Um. Uh. So in terms of like casting and new characters, wanted to kind of say just a few words about Pearl Mackie, who is uh, appearing as Bill here, um, who was pretty new to everybody, I think, unless you were a London adjacent theater fan, that's kind of what she'd done up to (laughs) this point was, you know, be a theater actor. So, um, you know, so she had a certain success with that, but that's obviously a very narrow audience that she's reaching through that. Um, so, you know, this is definitely not Billy Piper or Catherine Tate somebody that's familiar to, like, TV audiences, this is somebody coming in totally fresh with no sort of baggage attached. Um, And, you know, we'll obviously get into the character, did want to mention the milestone of the first openly gay main companion of the series. I say main companion because whatever um, Jack Harkness was, he certainly wasn't straight. So, you know, we're distinguishing between, like, you know... uh, you know, recurring characters or, or, you know, secondary companions from, like, main companions here. Um, Yeah. And, um, you know, and, like, River Song and even Clara, like, there were some, like, you know, queer overtones and everything, but Bill's the first sort of full-time one to be openly sort of out and proud, I guess. Um, So... I'll also link to um, her introduction was kind of interesting. They did it um, like as a video, like rather than do like just an announcement in, in a newspaper or like a live interview or whatever, they made like a little short, um, which I remember being not very well received at the time. <laughs> it like didn't really work very well. The humor was a little clunky and everything. Um, and it came out like way early. Like it, it premiered in April, 2016. So that's a full year before her actual episode debuted, which is kind of Mm -hmm. nuts. Um, so this was apparently Bill's audition scene and a very brief edited version does appear in the pilot. It's the section when they're seeing the Daleks for the first time. Um, Mm. but it's way cut down. Like they, they cut around all of those sort of awkward bits. Um, you know, so for whatever that's worth um, just kind of a new prefiguring the way that they were going to announce the 13th Doctor with like a YouTube video um, also wanted to mention um, uh, Bill's foster mother Moira is played by an actress named Jennifer Hennessy who has been in Doctor Who before um, she had kittens with her you know, orange tabby feline husband in gridlock. Um mm. so she's a little bit familiar if you can think of what she looks like. Um and uh on a slightly related casting note, um they they catch a glimpse of these aliens with the um kind of silver braided sort of slightly rastafarian looking hair. Um that's a very brief little classic series Reference to, you know, this alien race of the Movellans, so, um, just a little classic who shout out there. Um, and then finally, uh, and to me, one of the most interesting bits is that this episode was originally called A Star in Her Eye, and, um, that's what it was in all of the press and, you know, online, you know, reporting and everything up until about a month before it actually premiered. So suddenly, when you're reading about, you know, the new season coming up, the title changed, which was kind of, you know, uh, interesting. Um, Mm. And um, we can talk about that because I think it's a very interesting title. Obviously, the pilot references, you know, an actual thing in the episode, but you can't escape this fact that, um, you know, the first (coughs) episodes of new TV series are called pilots. So there's definitely some meta overtones that aren't lost on Moffat. He was quoted as saying that he wanted this to feel like episode one of a brand new show. So, um, maybe that's what underlied this decision to switch the title at the late hour. So,
0: yeah, that's interesting. Um, because, yeah, I don't, I was trying to think while watching it this time, like, what the pilot could mean, you know, beyond just the story.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I, I mean, I guess that makes sense. Like, it's a new season and he wants it to feel like a new show. Um, <clears throat> I guess it doesn't have to go any deeper than that.
1: <laughs> sure. Um well, and a new season after an extended break like you said. So even more than usual, right. maybe it feels more divorced from the last couple of seasons than, you know, you've had you've had the Peter Capaldi and Jenna Coleman show
0: mm-hmm. for a
1: while. So this feels like the biggest departure from that since right. Capaldi started, I guess. Um, in terms of, like, referencing back to, like, the beginning of things, too, um, there's also some fan speculation, I don't know whether, I don't think Moffitt has confirmed this, that, um, Bill's name might be an homage to, um, potentially a couple different things, so, you know, William Hartnell, um, takes us back to the origin of the classic series. Um, So it could be, you know, that could be the Bill that she's referencing. Um, But when I hear Bill Potts, I also hear Billy Piper in that. Um, And, Mm. you know, like there's some kind of alliterative echo of that. And so that takes us to the... I didn't even think of that, but yeah. That to me suggests the pilot of the new series. So Bill kind of, maybe her name sort of references both beginning points. You know, of saying, like, like those other two occasions, this is, like, a starting point, basically.
0: Right. Right. Yeah, and that, I mean, it is interesting that um, that we get that sort of rebooting due to the companion and not mm-hmm. the Doctor. Like, I mean, the regeneration yeah. is obviously always a sort of major event for doctor who, but I mean, we're considering it a new show because there's a new companion mm-hmm. is kind of an interesting way to look at it too. Cause, um, I think we called this out, although it's been a while since we've talked about it too. But I think we called this out a while back that Clara m- makes it as the longest companion.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah. Of the series to this point mm-hmm. as well. And I mean, we know, cause we have both seen what's coming up for, you know, this, whatever, like it seems like maybe that record will hold true for some time, perhaps mm. um, at least in this new series. I don't know. I, I don't know. We didn't go back like to determine if she was the longest, Companion ever, right? Like I don't, I don't know how long like other companions from the classic series.
1: I think she um, might have been actually, but I would have to fact check that to be sure. And it yeah. might depend on what criteria you're using, like how like.
0: you're. I, I'm thinking, like,
1: like time, sort with of the pure, show.
0: pure, purely simple, like number of episodes, like and time, like on the show.
1: My memory, Not, my like, memory serves that she is, but. Um, I look forward to people's emails if they want
0: to
1: send me a a link to correct me.
0: I'm not necessarily, like, trying to figure out diegetic time in a show that
1: plays so fast
0: and loose with, like, Like, time. No,
1: in in terms of time with, like, Jenna Coleman's time with the show, yes. I'm pretty sure that she is the longest serving, so yeah.
0: So, just to say that, like... What's interesting is, like, we haven't gotten, I feel like with the various companions to this point, I guess with Billy Piper, like, she leaves, and then you kind of have, like, you get, like, well, you get, like, Donna for an episode, right? And then Martha, Mm -hmm. right? Am I getting, am I remembering the order correctly here? And that, so like, you kind of get like this one-off, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, it is what it is. It's a one-off. And then you get like Martha, but it doesn't like, I feel like the doctor sort of carries through there with mm-hmm. David Tennant. Like, mm-hmm. like, you it doesn't feel, that doesn't feel like a new show. It just feels like the doctor's doing what he's been doing and he kind of meets Martha and she becomes a new companion.
1: Yep. Yeah, definitely.
0: And then you get—I um, guess you do—kind of get a reboot with Amy and Matt Smith. Yes, but, there, but as you it's said, hard, it's a
1: new doctor, so it's that, a new doctor, so things. it's hard. Yeah.
0: Like you can't like say that it's like the companion that makes it feel that way, right? And then when Jenna, Col- when when I mean, it's Oswald. In, yes. Is introduced right first. So, like by the time you actually get, um, <laughs> by the time you actually get to Clara, like you've already seen her die a couple of times. <laughs> so, like,
1: yeah. like
0: when we're actually introduced to the companion, you can't really say it's like a new show at that point because, right, it's you know you've already. It either it's part of Amy and Rory's story, and you're not—you don't really realize that it's already including like a new companion, mm-hmm. or like if you look at it the other way, it's well, we've already seen her before, so like mm-hmm. it, you can't really call it a new show at that point. Um, and then the and then we get the regeneration with the companion remaining the same. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like.
1: Yeah, like, well, it reminds me—it is me, sort of a new take yeah. on
0: on how to redefine the show. Yeah, not that we've haven't had compa- like new companions with an existing doctor before, but it's never felt like something completely different. Yeah, in that same way,
1: it reminds me of Moffat being quoted as saying that uh, the you know the the companions the real protagonist of the show that like it's it's their story it's their adventure and their journey and their point of view or whatever so whenever they change you're you're inherently starting over with a new main character in a way but this is maybe the first time where that feels true you know because you always have had the larger story to carry you through and now that there's a complete break in continuity you still have the doctor and Nardle there but um but at least in the way it's presented you're you have the biggest yeah. sort of clean slate that you've had well, since matt smith i think um and
0: and right so like because there's so much and we can talk about this when we get to the point where we introduce a new doctor at the end of this you know current season, um, there's always a sense of the doctor's regeneration. Like you see it happen. So it's, it's not like, like with the exception of eight to nine, right? Like you see the beginning of like the regenerative process. And then it like goes into I guess pretty much for every season, like you see a glimpse of like the new doctor at the end of the regeneration. And then it's like time for a new season. Like, Mm -hmm. so there like, there's, there's never like a real break in continuity there with the regenerations with the Mm -hmm. doctor. Um, Whereas here, I mean, we like, we've already talked about the, you know, real world time, you know, uh, uh continuity issues there. Not not issues but like the the, the break in, you know the year long break. But there's also there's also quite a long period of time where the doctor has apparently been at this university Mm. you know, that we learned from Bill that he's been there, like, 50 years or whatever. Um, And, like, like, apparently continuously, although perhaps at times he's also gone off and done other things and then just come back and picked up where he left off. Like, there definitely is a possibility that, like, it's been even longer and he's been off doing stuff kind of even... But, like, he's been at the university for 50 years teaching, apparently, and has done... Whatever, which I'm trying to think of, like. So, like at the end of Matt Smith's Doctor, right? You have him like sticking around and like growing old and guarding.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, whatever it is, he's guarding. What is he guarding there? Like, what's he?
1: The town of Christmas.
0: Oh yes, right. Well, and or then the like there's or
1: whatever it is, yeah.
0: Right, right. Um, that's right. Um, It took me a second. (laughs) Right. And so like, like, okay, you've got that, but that's like all within the story, right? Like, like we see him kind of growing old there and doing everything. Um, I guess I'm just trying to think if there's an an analog for, for the doctor sticking around, maybe um, family of blood. Is that the right title?
1: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 Right. Right.
1: Like Like human
0: nature. Yeah. Yeah. Human. Right. Right. So that might be the closest thing that I'm thinking of to where he like sticks around a place for a while, but even that it's like, he kind of doesn't have his memory properly. So like, is that even like truly the same kind of thing? So anyway, Mm -hmm. all that to say that like, like we've had a break from the doctor and like the doctor himself is sort of taking a break, and like I don't want to get into too much of what he's doing, but um, at least until a little bit later. But like just kind of like his sticking around like for a while and kind of like laying low, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, all of that to say, to get back to like what we were talking about with the. Um, you know with the the pilot with the like sort of resetting of the series is to say that like we can like it's not just the the time break that we have in sort of waiting for like new episodes of Doctor Who but it's also I think the time break of him like in the show like mm-hmm. now there's a new situation there's he, like he sort of has a new normal himself at this mm-hmm. point Sure. Um, yeah, so the opposite like a, a counter contrast a, a, a contrasting example I guess would be when um, he tries to stick around with Amy and Rory because of the little boxes that appear um, right and he like can't go like for a day without like going crazy
1: right yes yeah so you know either because he's this many years you know more mature or because this is a different incarnated personality or whatever he's more um i don't know i I guess we don't know enough about the situation at this point to say whether he's content with this lifestyle but he's at least capable of living it
0: yeah um he can can
1: restrain himself from the you know the, the busyness a little bit better than he could at that point
0: yeah, and we'll save the, like, vault stuff till later, but, like, like there's something important enough to, like, overcome his maybe wanderlust, or whatever you want to call it, right? Right, like,
1: right.
0: Um. Yeah, maybe not that he doesn't still feel those urges, and maybe, you know, embraces them from time to time, even, mm-hmm. but, like the idea that like there's something really important that he's undergoing or undertaking yeah. um, by remaining at the university for 50 years or whatever.
1: Yeah. Well, um, and, and remember, it's coming off of 24 years with River on um, yeah. whatever planet they were on there. Um, so, yeah, maybe he has gotten into a groove of... Settling down a little bit of sticking around, and you know, he's he's formed a habit or kicked a habit, you know, of needing to sort of not be in one place for too long.
0: Yeah, so are we done talking about the title? I was Can gonna we say, we've talked we about, talk about the Bill. Episode? <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, so we so we do get a new companion, um, and interesting that it sort of starts with her. I mean, we so I guess technically we see Nardal first, right? Doesn't he open the door and then
1: That's she true. comes in? That's true.
0: Um, which gives you a little bit of continuity, I guess, to the previous mm-hmm. Christmas episode,
1: right? Um, right. Because
0: we we talked last week about how like Nardal is himself sort of providing some kind of continuity or companionship for the doctor mm-hmm. in his loss of River Song. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're not talking about Nardal yet. We're talking about Bill. So um, yeah, no, she comes in and like, I don't like, I mean, we can just sort of, like, talk through the different things we learn about her. But, like, um, you know, throughout the episode, like, you sort of assume, I think, that she's a student. Or at least I did, certainly, the first time I watched it. Mm-hmm. That, like, oh, she's a student. Come in to, like, talk to her professor. And that turns out not to be the case. She's actually not a student. She works in the canteen. And she... um doesn't matriculate um but she does like to sit in on his classes um yeah also she's a bit of a talker like he is right Mm -hmm. like the doctor has always right he's got the gift of gab right like he can talk his way into and out of almost any situation yeah um and she does that like kind of right off the bat like she goes into this like whole story about how she Saw this girl and thought she was beautiful, so she gave her extra chips. And eventually, she noticed her and she realized that she had made her fat because she kept giving her so many extra chips. Which is kind of a weird story, mm-hmm. but um, like, also like that. So there, there's the comment at the end where she says, "Like, yeah, I kind of thought that like that would go somewhere else. <laughs> like, right, that's right. totally I was a doctor. Hoping something
1: would develop. Yeah,
0: I was, yeah, yeah, I was hoping something like." that sentence kind of got away from you there. there right? Yeah. Like,
1: yeah.
0: like, that's totally a doctor sort of thing of, like, just talking and seeing where you end up. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. So yeah, and, and you real, I don't think it's really until the second or third time I watched it that realizing that that anecdote really has nothing to do with anything. Like, it's not no. even that her mouth runs away with her. It's like, he asks, why do you come to my lectures? And she talks about a girl that she has a crush on that she serves chips to like it doesn't need it's not even like i followed that girl to your lecture like it doesn't even have any right ultimately any bearing on his question whatsoever <laughs> um yep yeah
0: i mean yeah i mean it gives you hints about right so it's sort of like the the uh, a bleak way of introducing that Bill's gay and you know, mm-hmm. whatever, as well as, you know, her, sort of her personality of, like, maybe she tends to ramble on about things that aren't particularly relevant to the present, you know,
1: mm-hmm.
0: whatever. Um And is she trying, like, I don't know that she's, like, consciously trying to avoid the question. Because, like, I, I do you do sort of, like, think she's in earnest when she says, like, oh, I thought maybe something would develop. Like... But also, she's just kind of ignoring what the doctor asked, right? Sure,
1: yeah.
0: Um, Which is, like, why are you taking my classes when you're not a student here, basically? Yeah. Um, So is is it... Is she trying to avoid the question? Like, is she hoping that he would, like... Get distracted by it and ask something else. But um,
1: if yeah, that's the case, know. like it doesn't um, seem
0: like she's intentionally doing that. Like I don't, I don't get the sense that she's like trying to be slick or sly or anything, right? With her answer, like so. Um, anyway, just yeah.
1: Yeah, she, I don't know. Um, I mean, I don't get the sense that she's maybe unconsciously deflecting the question. Maybe not sort of consciously doing it. Um, you know, because... Uh, you know, there there is a little bit of hint of her... not being fully aware of maybe her own level of ambition. Of, you know, she kind of says, I always wanted to come here, and, you know, she everybody loves going to the doctor's lectures. She enjoys them so much, and she's curious about him and what he's talking about and what that box is like, she's clearly inquisitive and kind of academic by nature. But at the same time, there's a kind of lack of uh, belief in herself as like a student, you know, cause his sort of offer to tutor her is like, well, but I don't go here. I just work in mm-hmm. the canteen. It doesn't seem to have ever really occurred to her, that she could apply and be a student here. Um, Like, I always wanted to go here, sounds like, in some ways, she is maybe happy serving chips, thinking that that's the closest she can be to, like, well, I get to sort of experience life on campus. Um, Mm. But maybe without the thought of actually doing that as a student.
0: Yeah, and, I mean this is this is where my um maybe ignorance about the uk higher education system is an issue but um i mean like like why is she not able to like go there like did she not get enough good grades like does she not have the money like she's a foster kid so like Right, There could potentially be a financial issue there. I mean...
1: Right, and I don't know that we ever get a real answer to that. We'll have to see as we go. I don't know that we do.
0: And I'm not even sure it's necessary to get an answer. Like, I don't know that it's that... Whatever the answer, like, I don't know that. It's important, I guess. Mm -hmm. Just those are sort of the questions that kind of come up. It's like, okay, well, you want to go here, but why aren't you? Like, is this a, you know... Will Hunting situation of, like, she's doing the menial work and, like, right. solving Secretly physics ingenious. problems in the yeah. evenings, yeah. you know, like, because right. she seems like she she we see the papers, right? Like, she gets decent marks on the papers at the doctor grades of hers and um all of that kind of thing. Right. Mm. I'm assuming those are her papers. Actually, now that I think about it, like. Because we see, like, the grades, right? Like, on some papers as they kind of fly by during the sort of montage
1: yeah. portion. No, well, we see her looking at them, so they're hers, yeah. That's
0: her, right. Yeah. That. Well, right, okay.
1: Like, she has I, a pile of And that's what I thought when I was watching them. I was just yeah.
0: second-guessing myself yeah, yeah. as I was talking. Yeah, um,
1: no, that's right.
0: So, like, like, it doesn't seem to be, like, an intelligence thing, but maybe... Maybe it could still have been like a scores thing, like she didn't do good enough on whatever standardized, you know, whatever the British equivalent of the SAT is or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, or, Or maybe it is a money thing, like because she's in the foster system, you know, there's just not, you know, she's not able to pay or get the financial assistance. I don't. I don't know. Like yeah, any of those things. Anyway, so whatever. Um. Or it could totally just be a confidence thing. Like, I don't know. Maybe there's tuition help out there for people in foster care systems in the UK, but like she just never took the test that she needed to take because she didn't think she would get in or mm-hmm. whatever. Um. So yeah, all of that to say. She's there, clearly interested, enjoys the doctor's lectures, and he's noticed her, which, I mean, I've never taught and lectured, so I don't know necessarily what people might tend to notice while they're doing that. But, like, it seems like, based on what we know of the doctor's personality, like he's probably not paying attention to everyone who takes his classes. Right. Like, (laughs) yeah, I mean, but he does seem to at least like recognize her from his classes. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. he called her in, he, he called her into the office.
1: Right. So like, yeah,
0: there's at least something noteworthy.
1: Yeah.
0: In her attendance.
1: Well, and I love the reason that he gives, which is that, When most people don't understand something, they frown, but you smile Mm. like that her response to confusion or frustration or feeling out of her depth or whatever is not to, you know, see that as an obstacle, but to see kind of something delightful in it, you know, that like, like, you know, her, her natural response is, is kind of, you know, joy or curiosity or you know wonder at the thing that she doesn't understand um which is you know interesting like that's a unique little character trait um you know and definitely kind of explains why he would notice her and sort of pick her out of the crowd um Mm -hmm. and then maybe that combined with the fact that she's not even a student like that's like you know candy the doctor can't like not investigate someone like that like somebody who attends all of his lectures smiles at the crazy things that he says and then comes there purely by you know because she's interested like Mm -hmm. there's no obligation that's just because she wants to you know be there um you know like I think that obviously sort of sets her apart from probably like everybody else. Um, even though they're popular lectures, still, like, you know, there's a certain sense of requirement to going to lectures um, that yep. Bill just doesn't have. So,
0: yep. Um. So, yeah, so we alluded um, uh, just to kind of flesh out who Bill is a little more, at least before she meets the doctor <laughs> or, you know, while she's taking his classes. Um, uh, you know, she so she is in the she she has a foster mom. Mm-hmm. Her, her mother died apparently when she was very young. Um, she likes to make up things that she thinks her mother probably said. Um <laughs> she talks about not having any pictures of her, but then we get the doctor apparently go. So this is where like, like, this is the question of, so was the doctor there 50 years and like never used the TARDIS? And then like when he learns that Bill doesn't have any pictures of her mom, does he go back and take those pictures? You know, I mean, it seems clear that he does that. Mm-hmm. But like is that kind of the first time that he's broken whatever self-imposed sure. you know uh sequester that he's you know placed on himself or whatever. Um
1: Yeah, no, that's a good that's a good question.
0: Yeah, and I we I don't know that we have enough to to say at this point, but um Yeah. Interesting. Like, if it is, that's interesting that she. I almost said that she gets him to do that, but she doesn't get him to do that. That like, he's prompted to do that based on meeting her, right? Mm-hmm. Of wanting to like, <clears throat> like he's not going to go. Like we we we've, we've been to the oh you know save my dead parent place before in Doctor Who, right? So like like we know he's not going to do that but like he does seem willing to like do some of the uh uh signature rule bending for yeah. her you know at least to some degree here of okay well i i can't bring her mom back from the dead i'm not going to like disrupt the timeline you know to that extent of like saving her mom or whatever but i can at least like take some pictures and leave them in, like, the back of the closet. Yeah. You know, until she grows up or whatever.
1: Yeah, well, and this is kind of getting more into the Doctor's character and everything, but um, I feel like it's been happening. It's not like he's suddenly completely changed here, but I do think you see a softer Twelfth Doctor. Um, You know, I think the kind of... Post Clara influence, you know, like if you think of where he started when he was first like, you know, I'm Scottish and I can complain about things and I don't have time for feelings and all that kind of thing of, you know, playing into the kind of this, this gruff, older throwback doctor, um, Mm. you see the evolution of, you know actively, proactively caring about other people. Um you know, like even when he when later she's like freaking out and he says like he doesn't know how to help but he says, okay, how can I help? Like that's the kind of thing that like Clara would have prompted him to do with like her flashcards. Whereas like here with Bill, he's he he doesn't always understand the cues, but he recognizes the cues when they happen a little bit. Um, sure. And can see, you know, yeah, like, Bill is clearly somebody who deserves some good memories of her mother. And there's something that he can do to, you know, and and do it without even, like, she's not even supposed to know that he did it. You know, like it's an accident that he gets caught in the mirror, right? Like it's supposed to just be that this sure. an anonymous thing that we found in the back of the closet. Um, so, but he, right. and maybe he does break his own rule to go kind of get that present for her.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I mean, there's also the fact that she gets him a Christmas present and he doesn't have one for her. So he might also be thinking of what can I do? To
0: just yeah, reciprocate that sheer obligation, right?
1: But but he goes like way above and you know like he way overshoots the mark. Like she gets him a rug and he like gives her this box of treasured memories that she never had before. Like so, he's maybe just trying to do a nice thing for Christmas, but his sense of proportion isn't quite right.
0: Um. Yeah. So, any other um, thoughts about Bill and sort of like her her life and ambitions um, before we move into like what actually happens in the episode?
1: I mean, I guess... Forty, the only, 42 minutes in. The only other general character thing maybe to point out is um, this kind of funny tension between her being somewhat savvy with, like, the sci-fi tropes, but then also being thick when it actually comes to understanding the sci-fi. You know, like, you know, the delay of figuring out what the TARDIS is. Um, kind of contrasted with her references to, like, you know, B-movies that she saw on Netflix and everything. um, Sure. It's pretty funny.
0: Yeah, I mean, so, right. I was going to kind of wait till the... Entering the mythology stuff, but right, like she does get like, oh, it's like a posh kitchen kitchen, and, you know, it looks like, it, oh, is this a knock through wall? Like, she's almost like, I don't, I mean, maybe this is um, ironic to some degree, given our podcast is all about talking about how sci-fi and fantasy stories work. In stuff, um, including some of the mechanic stuff, but like she's almost like a little too knowledgeable, like in some cases, right? Mm. Like, is that, of, like, oh, is it, you know, is this a knock through wall? Like, she knows the tricks that are used in like sci fi and fantasy stories to like make the illusions seem sure. real kind of thing. Um, right,
1: to create the, the illusion of it, but is that, you know, the what's really happening is a slightly different thing.
0: Right, so, right, like, like when faced with the actual thing, like, it takes her some time to actually realize, like, oh, this isn't just, you know,
1: right. sort it's of a trick, or a trick
0: yeah. wall or, a, you know, whatever. Like, there's, this is actually happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of takes, like, it... Like, cause a lot of people are like, Oh, you know, they go into the TARDIS and then they do like one lap around it and then are like, Oh, okay. Wow. This is weird and cool for her. It's like, wait, no. Okay. We moved in space. So we must be in a lift. (laughs) Like, you know, there's, it's like, like a lot of like things have to sort of cascade until, Mm -hmm. you know, she finally realizes like, Oh, this is actually a, device that takes you through time and space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and not, again, like not cause she's like dumb or something, but like, because as you said, like, like she's kind of so ingrained in the sci-fi tropes that like, she also sort of has explanations for everything mm-hmm. already. Mm-hmm. Um, so she kind of has to get extracted out of that to some degree sure. before she can really accept, you know, what's going on.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um, did you want to move? We can talk about her and uh, <clears throat> Heather slash the puddle, um, which we both agree we never really get a proper name for whatever the alien is. So we're just gonna yeah the puddle or wet heather or whatever
0: so i mean yeah you get sort of just like a standard like oh see a pretty girl on a bench and she seems sad so i'm gonna try to comfort her a little bit right and Mm -hmm. like she goes up and and talks to her a bit and um they exchange like we never really understand, like, what's going on there, do we? Like...
1: No, like, well, I mean, we don't she's get any, just kind of, like, like, backstory for Heather. Um. Yeah. Um,
0: and I guess, so you brought up the star in her eye as the name of the episode originally, um, which is, like, clearly a reference to Heather. I mean, as is the pilot. Like, mm. the Heather becomes the pilot. Like, of this creature thing. Um, but yeah, like the whole, like, I guess other than like one time later when Bill sort of sees like, like the eye in the drain thing, yeah. um, like that doesn't really like that never, never really comes to fruition. Right. Like, uh, am I missing like something in that whole, like, the I think, um, yeah,
1: I mean, I guess the, the main kind of plot purpose is the asymmetry, right? Like that's why she can see,
0: Mm.
1: that's why she's able to understand what's weird about the puddle before anybody else, um, is the kind of very noticeable, you know, fleck in her eye. Um, so her reflection just looks completely wrong. Um, right, right. So, yeah, I mean, I guess there's that sort of... But, like, the fact that it's a star, um, and then she ends as this sort of intergalactic shape-shifting... Right. celestial
0: being Like thing,
1: yeah. It like, it, it suggests a kind of, like, destiny, doesn't it? Of, like, she was obviously looking for an escape from whatever situation. We don't know what in her life. Um... But the fact that it's a star in her eye kind of points that you know the stars are really the escape that she's looking for. I think. Mm. Um, well, so and I that mean, bill the bill is attracted by that, and then sort of tempted by it in the end of like, well, it might be kind of cool to like just sort of go with her, and like that looks like a pretty amazing life. And so yeah, maybe the star being kind of like emblematic of that call to, you know, outer space or something.
0: Mm. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, the whole, so like part of, part of what Heather, like Heather doesn't like her defect, right? She calls it a defect, the, the star. Um. and says she, like, wants to get it fixed. Do you think that's... Do you think that's a result of looking in the Because, like, this isn't the first... Like, she shows the puddle to Bill. But, like, it's not the first time, right? Like, that's why she shows it to Bill. It's like, look right. at this weird thing. Mm-hmm. Um. Do you think, like... Do you get the sense that, like, it's something she's always wanted to get fixed or that maybe it's there's something about, like, the uncanniness of, like, seeing herself oddly in this puddle, like, did that? I don't maybe we don't get enough to answer that, but just. Um,
1: I don't know. My guess is that it was always kind of a dissatisfaction would be my sort of sense of it, just because. I mean, I guess that's kind of consistent with this... Whatever underlies this dissatisfaction with her life would be a dissatisfaction with herself, too. Um, And then it also reminds me of Bill saying, um, you know, that, like, she never liked her own face because it's doing expressions when she's trying to be enigmatic. So, like, this idea, like... I think that that's what the doctor likes about Bill, is the fact that, like, she smiles when she's confused. Like, she her face betrays what she's feeling, even if she's trying to seem kind of smart or, you know, above it all. Like, she's sort of, you know, very natural that way. Whereas, like, if you ask Bill, she says, like, well, I don't like that. I do that. You know, mm. that's a that's a thing that, I, like, and, and I think nobody's really completely happy with themselves. You know, even the things that other people might really like. You know, you get so self-critical and sick of your own quirks that, you know, you kind of wish them away. So my guess is that even though everyone else would say that Heather's eye is really cool, she's probably, you know, uh, not feeling that way but I don't know um it hadn't really occurred to me that there's something about the reflection that bothers her about it so um mm-hmm. maybe you could make a case for that that hadn't that thought hadn't occurred to me
0: yeah I I don't know. I I just... Uh, it was just a thought. Like, maybe... Maybe it was just weird for her. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I don't have a... I don't have, like, a fully formed thought around it. <laughs> um,
1: you don't yeah. have a theory.
0: No. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway. So yeah, so like Heather takes her to see this puddle and then like leaves. And then like later comes back. Like, I don't know, like there's not like plot wise, it's kind of hard to like even like talk about what happens because it's just kind of like there's this puddle and Heather's there and then like they see her again later and then she disappears and yeah. Then like haunts her. <laughs> um I mean we we get like the weird voice thing of like I don't know, I guess the puddle speaking, like or some kind of consciousness within the puddle. <laughs> um, yeah.
1: That, yeah, no, but it's very like episodic. It's just kind of Yeah an excuse to introduce Bill to this world and take her to, you know, as she kind of gets rid of these preconceived notions about, you know, sci-fi kind of, you know, the storytelling tropes, like, you know, dispelling with them kind of one by one as they go to all these different Mm -hmm. locations. But I don't know that, like, the monster which we never really understand and the places that they visit I don't think are like important really um, yep um, only, um, only in so much as Heather is sort of left kind of unresolved like you know to she lets Bill go or Bill lets her go Um, And she's sort of presumably out there somewhere and, you know, maybe we'll see her again. But that's kind of, it's not really a monster that's defeated so much. Um,
0: Right. They just,
1: they sort of part on pretty good terms, I think. (laughs) As far as like Doctor Who monsters go, it's a pretty amicable resolution at the end.
0: Yeah, well, and so... right we don't really know like at this point anyway what like heather becomes but it it seems like like she's more like it's a, like almost a mechanical reaction at this point right like that like this was like the last thought she had was like that she had to stick around for bill um and yeah, I mean, they make it kind of creepy with, you know, sort of ghostly quality to it and all mm-hmm. of that of like, you know, this is the last thought of the person who died. And so like now, like, that's like the, you know, modus operandi of like the, the afterlife entity.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, it's kind of a classic Moffat, like <laughs> glitching technology monster, right? Like it's like... um the empty child like sort of robotically calling for his mother. Um, Mm -hmm. this is sort of a similar thing. Although I think you do get at the very end some hints that the Heather puddle thing has some of Heather's, you know, soul or personality within her. She's not completely devoid of all thought or humanity or whatever
0: no and it's I mean like yeah like like there seems to be like a learning curve like her consciousness or whatever is maybe inside this thing but she just doesn't know how to like use the controls well enough to like properly explain Mm -hmm. like what she's trying to do (laughs) and so it all comes out as like repeating what Bill says and you know I don't know it's, like, a step above I am Groot um, a bunch of times, right? Like, um, but, like, if you know how to, like, properly interpret it, then you can have a somewhat meaningful conversation, I guess. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I like, I mean, I think the resolution does suggest that the entire time, like, like, this wasn't actually a threatening monster. It's all a matter of perspective of like Mm -hmm. facing the unknown and not understanding what what it wants. And so you sort of your mind goes to this is weird and. I so therefore I'm going to treat it kind of as a threat. Mm -hmm. Um, Which both uh bill and the doctor treat it that way like it's not like this is just like scared bill you know freaking out and like whatever um i mean it is part of that but like the doctor is also equally sort of freaked out and run away <laughs> runs away mm-hmm. like literally as far away as possible
1: yeah
0: um now there's an element of experimentation in his running away that maybe bill doesn't have um
1: right sure
0: but that you could sort of maybe chalk that up to a few years of experience with these (laughs) kinds of things
1: yeah
0: um yeah like his running away is like oh can it like travel through space oh well clearly it can can it travel through time oh it seems like it can do that too like
1: right like each place we go we learn something new about its abilities yeah Yeah, while also demonstrating those same things to Bill, so it kind of narratively mm-hmm. is is doing several things at one time.
0: Sure, right. Like from Bill's perspective, it's like, oh, I didn't know we could travel through space and time.
1: Right. Like the doctor wants to know, can it travel through space? And Bill's like, oh, we can travel through space. Like you know. So there's different types of learning going on here, which
0: yeah.
1: Um learning being like you know this this key to you know we talked about bill being an unofficial student but um that's the first time in the new series that i think we've had a real student teacher dynamic with the doctor and the companion Mm -hmm. i think i mean we had moments have come close to that like characters sure, becoming the... more doctorish, you know, or or Clara sort of becoming a bit of an apprentice doctor or you know, you had Martha the medical student who, you know, brought a certain kind of academic quality to things, but no formal arrangement until now. So that kind of sets this partnership into a slightly different light than the ones that have come before it.
0: Yeah, no, that's a good point cuz like obviously all the companions have learned things and the doctor has learned things from all the companions. So, but yeah, like the, it's, it's definitely been more of like, I mean, I suppose there's you know, when it wasn't a sort of romantic or flirtatious thing, it was, it was more just like just friends bumming around Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Like this is definitely more of like the mentor mentee,
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Relationship.
1: Right.
0: Or, I guess, Nardal being sort of, you know, the non human companion here, of like, he's fulfilling a sort of very specific need for the doctor mm-hmm. of like helping to keep him sort of focused on his task and mm-hmm. whatever that might be. Right. Which we don't learn much about in this episode. I guess maybe I'm jumping ahead a little.
1: Yeah. But, well, I mean, I think we can
0: you know just just sort of contrast that with bill here and with other companion types like there are i guess those occasional companions where it's like you know there's a very sort of specific purpose of their for their being mm-hmm.
1: there yeah
0: um okay so We've kind of talked about Heather in the Puddle and the whole pursuit, and that kind of leads into Bill's, like, entering of the mythology. I mean, we already talked about the sort of standard, like, getting her to the place where she can realize, like, the TARDIS is bigger on the inside and that kind of stuff. Um, any Anything else, like, with all of that kind of, like, plotty kind of stuff? Um,
1: um, I don't think so.
0: I I think the only thing I would bring up then is right at the end there where like you have the doctor basically getting ready to like erase her memory. And, and this is where her, you know, sci-fi knowledge and awareness comes in and Bill's like, are you crazy? Like I've seen, you know, I've seen men in black. I know what happens (laughs) when you hold up the little light pen thing. Um,
1: I know what a mind wipe looks like. Um, and yeah,
0: like, like, yeah. basically just like, like, what's interesting is that she doesn't just run away, though. Mm. Like, because you could, like, you could almost see her saying, like, I know what's coming next. And then being like, a, you know, like a dog who gets in trouble and like, going away and like running as far away as you can, like, mm-hmm. you know. Not that she got in trouble or did anything wrong. Like, that was maybe a poor analogy. But, like, just that idea of, like, I know what's coming next. And so, like, almost going from the unknown of Heather, you know, becoming a perceived threat to, like, now the Doctor is actually the monster of Mm -hmm. the week, right? Of You know, then he would have to, like, pursue her and wipe her mind. But yeah. instead, she just sort of tries to bargain with him. And I wonder, like, is this, like, maybe just acceptance of him as the teacher and, like, being willing to, like, accept what he says? Like, I I guess I'm try- I'm sort of trying, I'm, like, kind of wondering, like, I'm kind of wondering why she doesn't run away. Hmm. <laughs> like... If she doesn't know what's coming and she doesn't want it to happen, like why does she stand there and sort of plead with him
1: well, like yeah, sure
0: like maybe, maybe it is that of of like okay, I agreed to like let you tutor me, and if this is what you really think is best, then I'll allow it to happen,
1: maybe right, but it's also like the sharing of knowledge in both directions like it's not enough to just keep her memory she wants him to understand why that's important like you know which i think that's maybe where the the bargaining and the reasoning come in of you know okay here let me give you all the reasons why i don't want this to happen um and then you know her final thing is to give the reason why he shouldn't want it to happen of think of how this would feel if it were you. Um, and so, like, not to get too far ahead of the story or the, you know, into cliche or whatever, but, like, the student teaching the teacher a little bit here. Like, you know, I think that's... It's a... It's about the exchange of ideas and and the debate of that. Like, not that that's... I don't think that's... uh a conscious decision on her part. But, um, like, I don't think she does treat the doctor like just another sci-fi monster or threat to escape. It's that he's making a poor decision and she's arguing for why he shouldn't be doing it. Um, You know, and, and and, you know, and he listens. And I think, I mean, you kind of say like, well, he could potentially become the monster here. I think from his point of view, the chilling thing is the, you know, there's clear echoes to, you know, Donna and Clara in this, you know, of like, you know, wiping Donna's memory without her consent and then almost doing that to Clara and going through a very similar back and forth debate about it in which his memory was ultimately wiped. So the line about if this were you is completely ironic because his memory has been affected and he doesn't realize it. And her music's playing, and it's very, you know, making it very clear right. that, like, you're supposed to be thinking about Clara right now. Um, sure. So, there is that thing of, I think you're allowed to be a little disturbed at how casual this is. Like, oh, you saw this? Uh, no problem. I'll fix this right up. Like, he doesn't realize this is getting to be a very easy fix, and... Mm. It shouldn't be, especially when it's like non consensual, um, which is her kind of big point is, well, you were just going to do that without even asking, you know.
0: Yep. So, and the Clara thing, right? So, so he erased, well, so. He, he tries to erase Clara's memory and basically she reversed it, right? Like, isn't that – am I remembering that? Well, they right?
1: – she says she reversed it and then there's, like, it's unclu- – they know it's going to go one direction. They don't know which it is. So they both kind of agree we're going to kind of – one of us has to lose the memory in order to, like, sever this sort of problematic relationship and and we're going to kind of play roulette as to who it is. Um so they both kind of press the button agreeing to not know which it will be and it's the doctor. So that you know the season ends with him he has this song in his head and he can't remember. <clears throat> you know, there was something about a girl named Clara but he the the specifics are
0: So gone. do you think at this point When Bill says, "Imagine how it would feel if someone did this to you," do you think he suspects anything there? Like that maybe something has happened to him, and that's why it stops him, or do you think it's just...
1: Yeah, I I mean, I think there is like... like, Yeah, I think there's like a subliminal kind of. He knows that that's touching a nerve, even if he doesn't know why. Hmm. Because even at the end of the last series, he. Alludes to the fact that he he can reconstruct Clara based on the the kind of the hole she left behind, but she but he can't fill the hole. Um, right, so, like he
0: sees the shape of it, he just doesn't know what went there.
1: Right. So I my guess would be that he suspects that Bill is hitting on something, and it's but he doesn't. But even if he doesn't know exactly what.
0: Okay,
1: and the fact that the music plays, which was referenced in that last episode about, you know, the song that he has stuck in his head, I think there's a that's a slightly diegetic thing too. Of he's reminded of the thing that he forgot about, you know. Mm. <laughs> um, so, and in any case, he does remember. He, Donna, he's at least reminded so, that
0: he forgot something, even if he doesn't know what it was.
1: Yes. Like oh yeah, there were those memories that mysteriously disappeared. Maybe I shouldn't like mess around with this stuff. And
0: like, yeah. yeah, like even even before we started podcasting here, it was I had something I was like there was something I know I was going to tell you, but I don't actually remember what it was I was yeah. going to tell you. Like it's that yeah. that whole thing of I I know there's this thing that happened, and I know it was important, and I can kind of remember things about it, but don't really remember. The thing itself mm-hmm.
1: yeah. that's my that's my reading of the scene anyway
0: um and and we get the the i don't know that it happens with every companion but like at least going as far back as rose of the the run but this time it's from him right mm. like it's don't speak, don't start, just run now, go, like yeah. you know telling telling her to run, so um, there's that sort of common companion thing that usually happens like when we first meet a companion, right, like there's usually a moment yeah. of run mm-hmm. somewhere in there, um, yeah,
1: yeah, but with that edge of warning to it too,
0: um right, oh, yeah. Um, right. Usually, running from something, not running to mm-hmm. something. But, yeah. So okay. Um. So good. Good introduction of a new companion. Mm-hmm. Um. I think. Uh. I've read or heard that people generally like Bill.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um. And and Pearl Mackey's portrayal of Bill.
1: Um, yeah, she's, she's uh, been a hit. So yeah.
0: The, uh, so just sort of to wrap up though, there's a few things, um, to talk through. So we talked a little bit about Nardal. um, kind of funny, like, you know, in the beginning there you see like, a screw drop or something or a bolt or something kind mm-hmm. of drop out. Right. Like, so this is like, I take that. And I mean, I don't know that we like, we don't get a ton with Nardal, So like, it's very easy to like read too much into mm-hmm. what we do get maybe. Uh, but I sort of take that as like, he's been there with the doctor for like these 50 years, like, and possibly longer if he has gone out in the TARDIS on various things, which you almost get that sense that, because we saw last time Nardole like piloting the TARDIS, so like mm-hmm. even if there is some need, and like the Doctor himself doesn't leave until like getting the pictures right um, that mm-hmm. he takes for for Bill um, of Bill's mother, that maybe like the Doctor might stick around. But like Nardal maybe has gone off. So maybe like mm. it's been much longer than 50 years for him.
1: Sure. And he's
0: starting to sort of like fall apart and like. Right.
1: He's got a little rusty. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, right. Cause there's like some squeaks and like, you know, noisy servos going on <laughs> um, as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's uh, most of the moments we get with him are sort of you know, his responses to Bill or, you know, reactions to Bill. Um, Mm -hmm. But it does seem, so we know that like from the last episode, from the Christmas episode, that the doctor reassembled Nardal based, basically to help him get over his sort of loneliness, I guess, from, the River Song stuff. Um, and there seems to be, like, a, a, I forget exactly the way it was worded, and I'm trying to remember, but, like, basically, like, Ardahl's saying, like, like he's there to kind of take care of the Doctor, in a way, right? Like, they, there's, a, mm-hmm. there's a sort of caretaker attitude um, going on there, and, and watch over him a bit. Um, I guess we don't really get a ton of stuff here with him but just wanted to kind of point that out um that there's like a you know a bigger sort of reason here for them to kind of be together here in the university and that you know we get some hints about the the larger like what will become the sort of larger arc stuff in the season um yeah. Which boils down basically to this this vault, right? Mm-hmm. Like, when they first start running away, the doctor's first thought is that this thing is after whatever is in the vault.
1: Yeah.
0: And kind of hand waves about what is there, you know? Uh, so, you know, cue your Brad Pitt voice and, you know, <laughs> what's in the vault? Um, but... Uh
1: yeah, let the let the speculations begin announcing the kind of seasonal mystery up front. Yeah.
0: Right, like Yeah, so okay. Um and 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 sort of the waving away of Bill's question about like wait, so you you've got this thing that you don't want people to ask too many questions about and you brought it to a university, which is like literally where people ask questions, you yeah. know, full time.
1: Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, a place full of curious people whose job it is to investigate things. And,
0: and curious and smart people, right? Like,
1: Yeah. yeah. This um, is, yeah. Right. So, like, is the doctor just being, like, is that just a bad move? Or is there something about him that wants people to know what's in the vault, you know, or like maybe is kind of waiting for the right person to get curious and ask the right questions, you know?
0: Yeah. And there's always like that thin line between genius and utterly stupid, right? Like of,
1: yes, right. You you know, you can't see the obvious thing that's right in front of your face.
0: Right. Is this a hiding in plain sight situation where, you know, it actually makes complete sense to have it here. Mm -hmm. Or is it, like, he's just being utterly naive and totally didn't even think that, like, this might be a place where people would actually be rather curious about Mm -hmm. a a vault that he's been guarding over for however many years. I mean, he's no Rory yet. Like, he (laughs) he hasn't been there for 2,000 years.
1: No, and he's not, like sitting out in front of it like his guarding yeah (laughs) it's all in roman
0: centurion garb yeah he's
1: not the guard (laughs) that rory was that's for sure um you know rory definitely took his his task far more seriously um so yeah and i guess like you I, i feel like you articulated this well even before we started recording when we were kind of talking about it um Nardole's kind of interesting position halfway between um, being there to banter with the companion and answer questions and kind of give her someone to talk to as she figures out the, the kind of rules of the story and everything. And then on the other hand, he has this more mythological seasonal arc role with the doctor where... He's there for a kind of a mysterious purpose and along with the doctor is sort of guardian of this thing that we don't understand. So um, he kind of straddles those two halves of like there's the kind of just half of the story is the introduction to Bill and then the other half is what's the doctor up to and Nardole kind of splits his time between the two sides.
0: Um, so yeah, so, uh, introduce the new companion, introduce the season long mystery and, uh, yeah, I guess, uh, I guess we'll go from there. So the, the, I mean, unlike other pilot episodes, um, like we knew this one was getting picked up. Right. So like (laughs) there is at least that, like, yeah, um, Otherwise, it's uh, yeah, it's all good. So, um, any final thoughts, or shall we move into to Buffy?
1: Um, nope, I think that about wraps it up. So we can move over to Buffy. Lies that my parents told me. Hmm. Um, did you have any production for this? I forgot to ask if you had any. No, I mean,
0: um, so it was written by David Fury, um, and Drew Goddard, you know, I think I don't, I don't think that there was like a real anything real on the um, production side of things. There is a DVD commentary, but I didn't actually get a chance to listen to it. So sorry. Um, (sighs) Maybe there's some really important stuff in there, but no, I think from a, (laughs) just from a sort of production perspective, um, we talked, excuse me, we talked at the end of last week, um, about the sort of time, uh, shift here because there's, um, this, basically this episode and and the episode of Angel sort of corresponded with the beginning of the war in Iraq, uh, way back in 2003. So, um, this was originally slated to air before the last angel episode that we watched. Mm -hmm. Um, So you get like Willow getting called away to LA and that happens here. But I mean, like it's not really like that. Interruptive. I mean, for that reason, like Willow doesn't really have a part in this episode. So it's not like it like changes a lot of stuff and like outside of Buffy, Giles, Robin, and Spike, like none of the other characters have much of a role in this episode. So I don't feel like
1: no, that's and, and that much of a. I kind issue. of put her and the other supporting characters at the bottom, but I guess we can kind of just sort of dispatch with that now and say, like, that is kind of, other than sort of doing the spell with with the stone and the trigger and everything, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, her main part is getting the call from Fred and you know uh going off right to do the angel Ooh. thing for a week um that
0: Fred, Fred guy has an effeminate voice according voice. to Andrew
1: um which is funny for like people who don't watch angel like it's funny to just sort of throw this joke out there that they won't. sure get. um like why is Fred you know effeminate um so well
0: and that's interesting like I hadn't thought about that because there certainly would have been people I mean there are people today who see Buffy and never see Angel and so like do they actually they don't actually talk about Angel right they just say LA like and Fred mm
1: -hmm.
0: like so I wonder like people who aren't familiar with Angel like I wonder if they ever even like understand like what's going on there I mean clearly not like the full plot stuff but even like if they would know that that means that like that that's referring to Angel and Right. The stuff going yeah, on. Yeah,
1: and I mean unless they look it up or watch it, I don't see why they would. So um, yeah. it's just a funny little uh it's just sort of left there for the people that get it and sort of left there for the people that don't either. Um So yeah, okay. Um I wanted to start with well, we're going to do Spike and Robin sort of together because I think it's kind of hard to talk about one storyline without the other, um and I want to start with their flashbacks, and specifically, let's get into all of the uh juicy edible analysis of their relationships <laughs> to their mothers um yeah and. It did not occur to me until I was reading the intro for this episode that the title is Lies My Parents Told Me. And yet, it's an episode all about mothers. Or at least on the Spike and Robin side of things, it is. Um, I guess we could make an argument for the Buffy Giles thing as a father figure. Mm. Um, So, I think it... Authority as a, you know, parental authority is maybe a larger sort of metaphorical theme. But specifically, we're delving into these mother relationships. Yeah. Um, anyway, just worth noting. Um, yeah,
0: I mean, there's definitely. I mean, we've talked about from the beginning how Giles sort of does play a father figure role, although. That's obviously less and less true, and I feel, and not to jump ahead to the end of the episode per se, but I'm going to anyway, that's sort of being severed here as well. Like, um, whatever final threads might still be around are anyway. So, yeah, no, I think it's, I, I don't know, I don't know. I've not seen an explanation about that, like, as to why it's parents instead of mothers in the, like, title. But, like, mm. I would guess that it's just maybe a fauna aesthetic thing more than anything. Like, I don't know how much we need to read into that. Sure. Because um, there's also the the Drusilla aspect mm. of being Spike Sire, which she brings right. up of, like, I'm the other, the other you know. one that gave birth or whatever. Right. Yeah. Or the
1: other one, what gave birth, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. Um, That's right. That's right. Um, yeah, And Buffy mentions her mother too. Um, yes. You know, when she's sort of, you know, in the kind of bonding moment of she's another person who lost her mother tragically. So, um, yeah. It's just an interesting choice for the title, but yeah, we don't have to go crazy on it. Um. So I wanted to go kind of through the flashbacks. Um, so they're kind of together for the first one and then we'll go through the Spike flashbacks. Um, the first one being New York, 1977. And um, mm-hmm. not a ton of new info from Spike's point of view, I don't think. We get another like showdown between him and uh, Nikki, uh, which we learn is the name of Robin's slayer mother. Um, Nice coat, he says. So little nods to the fact of this is where he's going to borrow his look. Um, Right. And I mean, we'll probably want to come back to it more towards the end of their storylines, but I guess the key dialogue for Robin being the, the stuff about her telling him you know to that she always has to work the mission first um you know i love you but i've got a job to do the mission is what matters um and having to sort of put him second which is on the one hand she's trying to keep him and everybody else safe so she has to kind of you know give some tough love here she can't get mushy or else he'll get hurt um but on the other hand, he's what, like, three or four or something? Like, he's little. Um, <laughs> and, you know, to say to your kid that the mission is what matters is definitely tough love, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, anything else about that first flashback that's sort of worth? I mean, I think the real resonance of it comes later. Um, so maybe we yeah. can kind of return to that, but...
0: Right. Yeah, no, I don't, I mean... No, just the the focus on... Right, he, he wants to, like, stay with her while she's, like, fighting vampires, and she's like, no, like, that's too distracting, so... I'm going to like take you to my watcher mm-hmm. to babysit. Yeah. Um, carry like, which makes you wonder like why he's there now? Like mm-hmm. did spike? Cause we don't, we see it sort of in Medius Rast right. Or in, in Medius race. Um, man, i totally butchered that pronounced pronunciation. I cannot talk tonight. <laughs> uh, Where, you know, they're already fighting and everything. So, like, we don't... Like, is this, like... Nikki and Robin were walking home and, like, Spike attacked them kind of thing? Like, you almost get that sense of, like, you know, this wasn't, like, necessarily planned. Like, she didn't, like... I would hope that she didn't, like, bring Robin out with her patrolling. Right? Mm -hmm. Like, but maybe she did. I don't know. Like... It's hard to say. Like, we don't get enough there, but...
1: Right.
0: Um, anyway, right. but Right,
1: so. but if that's the case, then why the kind of need to clarify that the mission is... You know, like, if Spike or vampires can surprise them sort of anywhere at any time, that's not in her control. Even if her... You know, even if she's completely locked in on the mission, that's still... Could happen. Um, So it does feel like a more deliberate thing to say. Like the mission comes first. Well like okay what does that mean? How far do you have to go to separate your family from the mission? Mm -hmm. Um, Because unless you never see your kid. You're going to get surprised sometime right? Um, So yeah it's a little ambiguous. Exactly what she's trying to say there. I think, um, or exactly like how far you want to take it. Um, so before we get into that though, um, let's talk about the spike flashbacks. Excuse me. I just had a frog in my throat. throat. Okay. So, we get a lot of spikes very or i should say william um his very strange relationship with his mother who i believe we haven't yes. we haven't seen before right
0: his mother no no
1: um, this is her
0: first appearance
1: this is her first appearance um and he's reading her his terrible poetry Mm -hmm. and she's saying that she loves it. She's hanging on every word and, you know, kind of, you know, cheers and congratulates him at the end. Um, She asks kind of gently about, you know, his, you know, love life and what sort of progress he might be making there. Um, You know, he's, (laughs) is not saying he's not interested but you know he kind of clarifies that that's really not where his priority is you know um he has a woman in his life um and then you kind of get the like you know she coughs and like there's that joke of like nobody in a TV show coughs unless they're like dying right so like it's not just that he's attached to his mother but that she's kind of elderly and ailing and you know so he's sort of maybe even more particularly devoted to her because he might be losing her um
0: and she comes she has a bloody handkerchief which to me implies tuberculosis
1: sure yeah so
0: like like not just like elderly and sickly but like deathly ill.
1: right right um yeah and 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 then she kind of sings, you know, they kind of sit together and she sings the song, which I noticed sort of on the second watch that he says that his mother used to sing him. You know, the song doesn't really mean anything to him, right? Like, it's just a song that she used to sing when he was a baby. He doesn't mention that she sang it to him, like, as a grown adult man. <laughs> Sitting, like right. With his head in her lap. So, like, he definitely leaves out the... The, the extent to their closeness into adulthood. Um, so. Yes. Yeah, this is all very um, edible, like I said. Like, you know, Spike is very well, attached to his mother. And there you go. And,
0: and even, like, so we bring up Cecily, which, who, remember, is Halfric. Um yeah uh you know he brings up cecily uh and and she you know the mother is like oh well she seems like a you know she would be a good match or whatever and you know or or a good one to pursue anyway um a good match to pursue that is mm-hmm. uh the and What's interesting is his sort of response of like, well, well, yes, maybe someday I'll look to like bring someone else into like this household, like into this family. And it's like, like even from there, you know, like we haven't gotten to drew yet, but like when he gives the reveal that he's planning on, you know, touring Europe with his new lover and his mother, um, like that's the that's the hint that we get earlier on, right is that like he's going to bring his new woman in to live with his him and his current woman, who is his mother right so like like even there, it's just kind of like maybe a little subtler, but like that idea of like you know we're not gonna go off and kind of have our own place, which all right, fair enough, maybe in I don't know whatever time period this is, like you know. 17th century England like maybe or 18th century England like maybe there's not uh, as much of like people moving out sort of on their own you know but mm-hmm. at the same time it's like it's just sort of that assumption that like he's going to have all the women he loves under <laughs> one roof right <laughs> um, right yeah
1: Well, and I guess seeing some of the origin of his lifelong and, you know, even post-mortem kind of obsession with the women in his life. You know, whoever they are, it's, you know, he has these sort of um, perverse and troubled, though they may be, he has these sort of love affairs with you know, these women. um, And it's starting with a mother. um, And, yeah. I'm not sure what to do with it other than that, to say, like, this then is the, out. Yeah. the beginning of, you know, uh, I guess something kind of human or pathological that that foreshadows, like, the kind of more demonic version once he becomes a vampire. Um, You know, the way he kind of clings to Drew or to Buffy I think is kind of an echo of his clinginess sort of early on here.
0: Yeah. Well, and I mean none that we didn't know this before because we knew he wrote poetry and stuff, but, like, also the the kind of, um, the unrealistic expectations he has or, or the sort of, like, um, lofty, you know, kind of idyllic view that he has of, like, what those relationships are. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think we see that over again, over and over again with Drew, and then we see it, like, with Buffy as well, and then now we're seeing that, like, yeah, like, it started way back when.
1: Yeah, well, and, <laughs> um, and Drew's, um, it's not even really envy, it's just her kind of uh, befuddlement that he would even suggest bringing his mother along, kind of, again like, echoed later on when she leaves him because he's become sort of obsessed with Buffy, right? Like, so he expects these women in his life to accept each other and to just sort of share him and all be together and he doesn't kind of ever really understand what the what the problem is here. Um, mm. You know, so even here it's like, you know it's just naturally the three of us are going to go around Europe. Like you said, and and, you know, you, me and mother, um, you know, and, and you'll like her Mm, to eat. You mean, you know, like she's Mm -hmm. like, doesn't have any, you know, no hint of interest in bringing, you know, mummy along. Yeah. Um, other than Um, as a toy or a snack, um,
0: and yeah. I would say that that's not unusual that you know,
1: yeah yeah, no, there's like a little <laughs> bit of a magical metaphor going on here, more than a little bit um yeah um so yeah, I guess some so some of it is like this just this Williams sort of clingy clueless personality, but also. Some of it is about, like, the fear of the mortality, like you said. And the fact that, you know, so he becomes this creature of the night, like he says. And sees his opportunity to not just preserve their relationship sort of as it is forever and to be together always, but to save her life. Um, mm. You know, um, so even kind of in the demonic vampire state, there's something positive there you know he doesn't become a hundred percent monster that eats her you know that bites her to consume her but he does it to turn her into something like him um so still kind of the remnants of i guess something loving there and um, I've lost count of the amount of times we've talked about how there are echoes of humanity and, you know, and love and emotion within the vampires. So that's not, like, um, that's not terribly surprising. Hmm. Yeah. Um, it's not exactly reciprocated, though.
0: <laughs> no.
1: Um. Yeah, so she gets kind of the better deal out of it, in that she's like restored to this more youthful and healthy state, um, and then proceeds to go on a really kind of cruel and ruthless rant about yeah, this like psychoanalysis of. <laughs> Of like their relationship and his, you know, feelings for her. Um, yeah, yeah. Ever since you've slithered from me like a parasite, like, <laughs> like it's not just that. Oh, you never grew up, and I never got rid of you. It's that he's been that parasite from day one. Right. Um, you know, so this is kind of poisoning, not just their ability to be together now, but like retroactively kind of implying that she hated him all along. Yeah. Um And she only ever just humored and indulged him. She never really appreciated his poetry or his affection or wanted him, you know, wanted them to be together or love each other or anything.
0: Right. Well and there like there's the whole I hate to be cruel. Well, no I don't. <laughs> like Yeah. Actually right. it's rather freeing. Cruel, like, yes. Um Yeah, and so right
1: trying to convince him that this is what I always thought I just never could say it before. So it's not that like his his realization later in the episode about that was the demon talking You know, my real mother loved me, and the demon was just saying these awful things because it was a demon. Um, I guess we can debate the truth of that statement. That's certainly not what the vampire here is trying to communicate. I think what it's trying to make him understand is I've always thought these things. I've just never said them. Right. And I don't know. I mean there are remnants of the human personality in the vampire. Do you think this is, is there truth in there? Is there, is this the extreme sort of logical extension of what she might have felt deep down? Or is this a demon trying to sort of torture William um, with, with cruel, you know, half truths or you know um or or full lies i don't know
0: well i mean i guess it depends on how literally we want to take the episode title sure cuz the you know what what is the lie is right. the lie right the the demonic mother or is it the or or is it you know spikes mother before she's turned into a vampire who's Mm -hmm. lying and saying nice things about Mm -hmm. the poetry. I mean, the implication to me seems to be the former, Um, despite his sort of, you know, interpretation later.
1: Yeah. Well, and I wonder if it's both like, you know, his mother could love him and be lying about the poetry you know, and maybe and maybe like telling lies about how much she would wish that he might, you know, leave the house and settle down in order to spare his feelings. But at the same time, perhaps the demon is also, you know, uh, you know, speculating about you know, the mother's feelings or or twisting the truth in order to kind of Mm -hmm. get at him. So it kind of could be both, I guess.
0: Sure. And I mean, the other thing is, you know, I mean, I'm sure we could go around and around on this, but like, are lies always bad? Like, do the lies that his mother tell him? before she's turned into a vampire, are they they necessarily bad lies? Like, who knows? Like, maybe there's some good there. Um, Or maybe it's, you know, it was good intentioned, but the effect of it was to, you know, make him think he was better at poetry or whatever than he really was. And so, like, maybe it would have better to have been what might have felt like cruel, being cruel, but like would have helped him become a better person in Mm -hmm. the long run.
1: Right. Or that she was happier with their situation than she really was. Um, Yeah. You know, like, like not just about the quality of his poetry, but like her feelings about the way that he's kind of living his life. Like maybe in life she could have, been more honest about her true feelings. Um, You know, like I don't think we can really tell the extent to which his sort of arrested development is purely self-imposed or is she enabling that a little bit like by not kind of standing up to him a bit? Um, You know, is she kind of getting allowing him to indulge this Relationship more than you know, she really should. Um, yeah, um, but and yeah, in any case, he uh, he stakes her, so Mm. his uh, so his plan to make her immortal doesn't exactly work out. Um, and so she could have died by natural means and instead he gets to be the one to kill her. So it's not exactly an improvement on their relationship in the end.
0: Well, and you know, if we're taking the Oedipal interpretation, there's certainly the phallic sort of implications of stabbing your own mother with a piece of wood. Um... So, yeah all right,
1: fair point
0: On that, so yeah. all of the flashbacks uh having been done, mm-hmm. yeah, like um, maybe we move into the story yes. <laughs> itself um, so like a lot so the first flashback happens just kind of as a as the entry into the episode, right? Mm -hmm. Um, The other two actually happen though, as part of like spikes as, as part of the sort of attempt to identify the trigger that spike is having. Um, Like these are memories that we assume he's having sort of real time as this Mm -hmm. process goes on.
1: Right. And it's the song that it goes to those memories because they, contain the song which is the trigger um
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and so Giles and Willow kind of lead this effort to find out what the trigger is set it off see what it does um and kind of try to figure out how to stop it um it's a pretty creepy effect of the like bug that crawls uh through his eye um yeah and, yeah, the amount of things that have, like, stab spike in the brain is, like, getting to, like, I feel like it's sure. a lot of episodes of him, like, clinging his head and, like, you know. Um,
0: this I is mean, the equivalent of, like, Giles getting knocked out so much, right?
1: Yeah, like, it's becoming a bit of a thing. Um, yeah, and so, like, it it...
0: Works. Well, so sorry, can we dwell on that for a moment? Yes. Because, like, there's also a sort of like grim satisfaction that, like, Giles and Robin and maybe one or two others have of sort of like watching Spike's horror when he, like, realizes what's going on, like, with this thing that's like crawling into his eye and, yeah, you know, definitely. up into his brain. hmm. Um, yeah, I, nothing more to say than that, I guess, but just um, kind of the, like, Giles isn't exactly sad about, like, the way this process works.
1: hmm No. Um, yeah, so, and it, it does work. It, like, you know, it, it does go into that memory and plays the song, and... You triggers him and he goes like berserk not just like goes you know like into like vamp face but like attacks like everything he can reach and like goes Mm -hmm. like totally feral Um, so yeah and then so he's very quick in like the next scene to then say like oh it worked. I'm detriggered. Good job. You're done. Um, and, like, I feel like there's this tension, like, you know, back and forth throughout this season of his, like, sense of his own, like, dangerousness or something. Like, on the one hand, he will kind of be the first one to say, like, that he's dangerous and that people should be careful and, you know, kind of You know, he submits to a certain amount of, like, being guarded and, you know, being restrained or whatever to kind of keep him under control. But on the other hand, there's still that thing that is a bit offended when people sort of lock him up and don't trust him and, like, put him through all these really painful tests and everything. Um, Which I guess, I don't know if that points a little bit to... Giles' line about Spike lacking the kind of self-awareness that Angel does. Like, you know, not that Angel never gets offended or proud or whatever, but he's much more long-suffering with this sort of thing, whereas um, Spike tends to want to be given the benefit of the doubt a little bit more and to be kind of out where the action is. He's not really good at Mm. sitting in the basement being careful um sure well and i think
0: it's also like the triggering is different than like angel having or not having a soul right because like one he doesn't remember it like when he's triggered right so um with Angel and Angelus, like they each remember the things that the other did when Mm -hmm. they were kind of in control. Yeah. So there might be an aspect there of like, if Spike doesn't remember doing it, then like maybe he doesn't think it's as bad or, or whatever. Um, I mean, the other thing is like, so this spell works to identify the trigger, but Giles even says before they try it that like, it's not actually going to trigger him. It's just going to, like, help him remember, like, what the actual trigger is, and then we'll know. Mm -hmm. And then from there, we might be able to, like, figure out a way to trigger him. But it's, like, not... It's never a guaranteed thing. And so when, like, you have Spike, like, chained up in, you know, Buffy's basement saying, like, oh, okay, well, we know what the trigger now is, and I'm all good. Mm -hmm. Like, but that wasn't ever how, like they said it was going to happen. Right. Right. Like the, the whole point was that identifying the trigger is different from actually removing or, or fixing it. So. Yeah. What happens later with, you know, sort of Robin's plan, if we can sort of skip ahead, I mean, I know. No. Okay. So like we
1: can switch to talking about the plan. Yeah. Robin's sort of point of view. Yeah.
0: Giles and Robin conspire after all of that to like get rid of Spike basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so Robin takes him back to this garage that he's sort of decked out to be a vampire holding cell. Although it kind of really fails in that, too. It's like, couldn't you have made, like, like door handles that were crosses? Hmm. So that, like, you know, they can't, like, grab the door and open it? Yeah. (laughs) Like, having a bunch of crosses on the wall, like, okay, but you can just not touch the wall, right? Like, and he even says, like, just stay away from the wall. But, like, if you're actually trying to, like, protect yourself from the vampires, like, I don't know, it's kind of a messed up thing. Anyway, all of that to say, like, they go back there and, like, he triggers him again. Right? Because he plays the song and it Mm -hmm. triggers Spike. Mm -hmm. So, Spike's clearly wrong, as is Buffy. And not, that's not to say that, like, Robin and Giles are necessarily right in wanting to, like, kill Spike, mm-hmm. but but they're not wrong in the fact of, like, that he's still dangerous, because, mm-hmm. like, they're able to still trigger him. and And it's actually not that Robin wanted it to work out this way, but by triggering him and sort of making him continue through the process of like the flashbacks and realizations.
1: Right, like confront his memories if, and yeah.
0: Even if the realization is ultimately wrong, like even if even if the realization is that like the vampire wasn't lying and Spike's mother actually was just humoring him and not treating him, you know well. Yeah. So what? Because the ultimate conclusion that he comes up like like, it's that psychological thing of, like, being able to let go, and so it therefore doesn't have mm-hmm. hold over you, that actually detriggers him. Mm-hmm. But he he's not he doesn't get there, like, on his own earlier. Mm-hmm. So, even if we can sort of condemn Giles and Robin for this plan of, like, you know, wanting to kill Spike, what they do is actually effective, and Yeah. Gets the trigger, you know, gets the trigger or detriggers him in a way that, like, he wasn't before. And Buffy was all fine with, like, just letting him roam around the house.
1: (laughs) Well, and it's like they're right, but they're kind of right by accident in the sense that they see Mm -hmm. the trigger. I mean, like, basically, they see Spike as irredeemable in that. You know, Robin doesn't play the song to cure him. You know, he plays it thinking it's going to make him, you know, go crazy, which he does. And then that'll be his excuse to take him out. He doesn't anticipate that the, you know, that the trigger will force Spike to sort of work through these issues that he has. Um, Right. Which he does like he, you know, comes out the other side of it sort of cured, at least of the kind of compulsive brainwashing part of it. Um, Which I guess is sort of metaphorical for the kind of like pathological nature of that, that memory and that relationship that like he's cured of the kind of, you know, hold that that had on him in a psychological sense. And then, you know, comes out of it with his free will sort of intact. Um, So they're right, sort of, they that you know, what they do ends up kind of doing the right thing, but it's not the thing that they were intending to do. Um, So, I mean, I guess that's where Buffy's right in that a trigger is different it's a it's a thing that he can't control. It has nothing to do with what Spike wants to do, but he has the soul now. he has this free will, and freed of the trigger, he's able to control himself um so he, which is what he does like he toys with the idea of killing Robin and comes very close. Um, and I kind of thought that was probably it for Robin. Um, but, um, but he doesn't fully go through with it. He exercises this new free will that he has and, and leaves him like, you know, just at the last moment, um, you know, and, and with a warning not to try it again.
0: Right.
1: Yeah. Um, what do you, what's your sort of take on Spike's sort of declaration that at least his mother loved him at one point? You know, that the, the mean things she said were all the demon. My real mother, she loved me. And, um, and yours, yours who wanted to, you know, told you that the mission was important and you had to stay away and keep safe. It's because she didn't really love you. Um... That sounds yeah. like a pretty uh pretty biased opinion to me, but um
0: Sure. I mean Does Spike have any reason to like you know, be nice to the guy who just tried to kill him? Like
1: Sure. Maybe
0: not. I don't think there's any obligation there for Spike to like
1: right. it's nothing, be wholly It's nothing deep unbiased.
0: <laughs> um
1: Well and When has Spike ever been wholly unbiased about anything? Um, Right.
0: No, I I think... So... I think there's a part of this... I think Spike's sort of realizations about his mother can be viewed in a number of ways. I think... Ultimately, it's hard for us to really know what his mother thought. Um, as you noted, like the vampire does share some of the personality of the original person. Um, on the other hand, it also will lie and say mean things for no reason um, mm-hmm. or for its own reasons. Um whatever they may be, we've seen that both in angel. I mean it might take a half truth and twist it in a way that is most psychologically harming to the- per- person that it's talking to mm-hmm. um, i you know what how much of what Spike's mother says, like if we're assuming that like, there's at least some part of what his mother says is a lie, just based on the episode title. um, Then the question becomes of how much, like is literally everything she says a lie? Well, probably not. Like, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it wouldn't surprise me to think that like she was being nicer about the quality of his poetry than she really felt Mm -hmm. knowing how bad his, I mean, we hear how bad his poetry is and like also know sort of the opinions that others have of his poetry, um, such as giving him the name of William the bloody Mm -hmm. uh, because of its bloody awful nature. Um, So, you know it wouldn't surprise me to learn that his mother didn't like the poetry as much as she said she did does that mean that like she didn't love him and all that well no like maybe that comes from a place of love like we kind of talked about before so i like i think both things are more complex does it does Robin's mother's, does Nikki's calling as a slayer mean she didn't love her kid? Well, no, no more than any other mother who has a job and feels like, you know, she can make a difference in the world, you know, loves her own children. Like, mm-hmm. that doesn't have to be true. Like, just because you go to work every day doesn't mean you don't love your kids. Like, that's stupid. Yeah. I My mom was a single mom, and... I'm sure she loved me, like, and also worked at the same time. Like, that's just not, like, you know, whatever. Like, yeah, you know, yeah.
1: Although, you know, I want to kind of use Nikki to transition, kind of bridge the gap between Robin over to um, Buffy and Giles because, um, I think there is a a relevance there for kind of working you know, mothers still sort of loving their children, but also there's this discussion of them set apart as slayers too, of like when they say like the mission is what matters, that has a different meaning and significance than it does for us normal people, you know, having jobs and raising kids. And it, it, so the, the, the question of, where are the lies in what the parents tell their children in this episode? Um, I guess then through Nikki kind of extends over to to Buffy. Now, I don't think anybody would claim that Buffy doesn't love people. Like, that's an inherently ridiculous statement at this point in the story. You know, we're seven, we're almost to the end of the series. We know that Buffy loves people her family and her friends um but i guess we're kind of working into this question of are they more important than the mission um and like if she says you know is her statement of love invalidated by her following statement that the mission is what matters like are the two inherently contradictory Um, is she lying about one or the other or is that something that she's able to 100% believe in her love for her son and 100% believe that the mission is really what matters. Um, and then I guess that being the question we're prompted to ask about um, Buffy, like is she going to compromise her own mission because she can't stand the idea of sacrificing certain people in her life. Um, And maybe certain people even more than others. Like, Giles is kind of suggesting that Spike, even more than some others in her life, holds a special place that, you know, and Anya kind of says, you know, he can get he he has a get out of jail free card. Some of us can slaughter a whole frag and then like she kind of catches herself and realizes she right. has been the recipient of some love and forgiveness. Um,
0: right,
1: right. Still, to like, to, to forgive is
0: human and all that. Right, like she. Yeah,
1: yeah but still, like I don't know that she's wrong when she says that like Spike holds a special sort of status that he's certainly been forgiven for more than. Other people have. Um, sure. And. So, I mean. And I guess in the end. Buffy's argument comes down to. It's not that she loves Spike more. It's that he's more valuable. As an asset. You know. Like it, it's about his. Strength as an ally. That really comes down to it. Um Yeah. But I don't know. Giles asks if they were in this situation and she had to kill Dawn, what would she do? And she says she would if she had to. I find that hard to believe. But um, but that well, is just my kind of, I did, you know, I, I could be proven wrong. But, you know.
0: So, I mean, here's another thought. Um, again, going back to the title episode, uh, Lies My Parents Told Me, you know, Buffy refers, or sorry, Giles refers to Buffy as a general. How much is she also sort of the mother of this, Mm. of the Scoobies of, you know, which now includes all the potentials and like everyone and like how much of that is a lie? Like how much of what she's saying she's willing to do? a lie like so one of the um a phrase that a coworker of mine has been using a lot recently uh in discussions is uh planning is fiction right like you don't actually know what's going to happen until it happens like mm-hmm. you can plan for all sorts of things and like that isn't probably what's gonna happen like you know almost nothing ends up happening basically how you plan it out so you can say i would do this or that when it's all theoretical but when it comes down to brass tacks and you're in the situation like do the decisions you make actually bear out and i think that's what giles is kind of talking about when he says you need to be able to make difficult decisions regardless of cost and Buffy's like, well, I, I'm doing that. Like, I've already done that. You know, I know how to make the hard decisions. And from Giles' perspective, like, not seeing Spike for what he is or what Giles says he is, thinks he is, um, seems to belie that idea that uh, Buffy actually can make hard decisions. mm mm-hmm. You know, her saying that she would make that decision with Dawn, you know, is sort of coming at it from the other end. But like, yeah, like, do we believe her when she says that? I I don't know. Like, I don't know that I wholly do either. Um, I don't think she's as callous as she's trying to portray herself in this situation, and I think that's what Giles is trying to point out—that she's not callous, mm-hmm. and that, in particular, when it comes to Spike, she could use—you know—maybe stand to be a little more callous mm-hmm. um, than she actually is. And so, um, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I think the parent dynamic. Like, I don't know that they. If we can do fic, I don't know that like the writers intended Buffy to be like one of the parents in mm-hmm. you know one of the eponymous parents, I guess. But like, I do think you could maybe question her in that same way that we are the other parental yeah. figures in this episode, including Giles. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, and and he's certainly I think included in this group of you know parents who. May or may not be. I don't think he's lying, like, deliberately. Um, But I think Buffy certainly questions his wisdom and his statements of what he thinks she should do and um, sort of the best way to conduct herself. Um, And, you know, kind of ends up... You know, not, not, not kicking him out, not rejecting him, but shutting the door in his face, closing the 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 book on there to recall the doctor and Bill. This is sort of seems to be the end of, in a way, that student, you know, uh, mentor relationship that they had, you know, of... <clears throat> yeah. He, it, it, sh- she... If she let him he would just keep lecturing and um, for better or for worse you know maybe there would be good things in those lectures but she's you know not there anymore she's gone beyond that you know she's got past the point where she has need or where that's appropriate for her to you know at least in her own mind Um, you know, to just sort of accept what he has to tell her. Um mm-hmm. And as much as I think he was clearly shown to be different than the kind of very, you know, paternalistic and chauvinistic watcher's council, there are shades of that, of, like, there's some uh bias here that he can't quite entirely rid himself of, of kind of wanting to kind of teach her, but also kind of talk down to her a little bit. Um, Mm. That I think she's kind of saying she's done with that. Um, And she's listened to lots and lots of lessons and lectures over the years. So she's kind of making a decision to put a stop to that aspect of, of their relationship. Right. Which you know i I grabbed the quote about um his fury about the library um for the title about knowledge comes from crafted bindings and pages, not ones and zeros um, kind of referring to this like you know the teacher figures in these in these two episodes, um but like even that. I think is ambiguous. Like on the one hand, I think we're supposed to have positive associations of Giles and the wisdom of his old tomes, but mm-hmm. also like he is, I think in spite of himself, maybe more representative of this old patriarchal sort of way of doing things. And Buffy is sort of making a break from that by the end of the episode.
0: yeah um, yeah <laughs> I don't really have anything to add to that I, I think
1: either.
0: i so the I guess maybe the one thing I will add mm-hmm. is that I do think there's kind of I don't want to draw too strong of a conclusion here, but yeah. if you sort of couple this with Um. Uh, you know the the. Was it? It wasn't the immediately previous episode, right? The 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 episode where she kind of goes back and sees like the origin of the Slayer power with like the shamans and stuff, right? Like, that's all about like breaking out of the. You know, sort of patriarchal origins of, the Slayer Mm -hmm. line. And, like, I feel like this is, like, the last, like, thread of that, right? Like, Giles isn't her watcher anymore and whatever, but still kind of has sway or influence over her. And so, like, there's sort of that, like, this is her sort of, like, nipping that last bit. Like, she's she's willing to learn as, like, and he's even, like, Like, just looking at, like, how it all plays out, like, she she doesn't really think she needs, like, more instruction from him, but kind of allows herself to be convinced, like, by him saying, like, well, even though I'm not your watcher, I still have a lot of things I can teach you. And sort of having that very, you know, didactic tone Mm -hmm. with her. And she sort of allows it until she realizes, like, hey, wait a minute, this is a, you know stalling tactic and Right, everything. it's not even
1: like a real lecture about let's share some wisdom. It's, right. It's one of the lies, you know? It's like, right. let's just keep you occupied while I do the real thing behind the scenes.
0: So, um, yeah. So, like, I feel like at the end there, when she does kind of shut the door on him, it's... You know, it's just, it's just kind of like that last vestige of, you know, that um, Slayer origin story that she's able to sort of let go. And, yeah. And, yeah.
1: Well, and she shows some of the callousness that he was <laughs> kind of pushing her to have just at him rather than at Spike. Like, you know, like it. Kind of, she takes the lesson in saying, you know, it doesn't matter how wise you are or how much I love you. This is not useful for me right now. And so I have to cut it loose. Um, You know, now he was kind of meaning for her to come to that conclusion about Spike. Um, But in a way, I think she does kind of you know I don't know. I guess she does learn a little bit of what he's trying to say to her. Hmm. I guess I guess my question then kind of being like that's not going to be the last time where the mission and the people come in conflict and how far You know, it's one thing to kind of cut him off and shut the door in his face. Nobody, like, dies when that happens. Like, you know, how far is she willing to take that ability to sort of let the people be expendable, I guess, is my question.
0: a good question.
1: Um. that's kind of it I mean we kind of even already touched on the brief things I had for like the other characters um, sure nobody else really has anything to do so um, did I miss anything that you wanted to cover before we wrap up
0: no I think uh, I think we did a good job kept it under two and a half hours so. <laughs> There we go. Um, yeah, so we'll be back then with uh, another episode of Doctor Who, and then several more episodes of Angel coming up next. Um, here on here on out, it's a bit, uh, yeah, uneven still. Um,
1: yeah.
0: So we'll right. we'll get some more we'll get Gonna some more Angel milk
1: this last quarter of the Buffy season for all it's worth,
0: huh? I guess so. Yeah. I mean, yeah, right, we're down to what, the last five episodes, so
1: wow. Yeah.
0: Yep. And uh well should I should I tease a little bit? Um
1: oh and I have to wait like weeks <laughs> for it? <laughs> or oh, or is that true. just too mean? That might be a little mean. Okay. Um like you can if you want to, but
0: Oh, I'll hold off then. All
1: right. All right. All right. Then, <laughs> sounds good. See you then. <laughs>